Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let's stand and proclaim the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so, allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to reach up to and to heights higher than we are and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all of the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance. All of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And so, stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the rock and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And allow us to find your holy countenance. I present this service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. The book of Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Call to Perfection. On one hand, this is a promised commandment that is the inheritance of the saints of all time, and this commandment is addressed by Christ to his disciples. Therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment, nor can they have a relationship. Proceeding from this, they look at the perfection of the Heavenly Father in tolerant love. You see, they say, God sends His Son and He shines on the just and on the unjust and reigns on the just and on the unjust. We must love everyone and we must love the righteous and the unrighteous. This is how they interpret this place of Scripture and they see themselves perfect. But how foolish you must be to understand or to think that the perfection of the Heavenly Father is comprised of blessing devil and his angels. Satan, devil, who used to be an angel and did not keep his dignity. Do they really think that God is so unjust that he, he blesses the righteous and the unrighteous the same? 
In fact, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect is to love the righteous just as God loves them and to hate the unrighteous as God hates them. Pouring out the blessings on the the righteous from our lips and the anger on the unrighteous and the boundaries of His spoken word magnified by Him in the temple of our body above all His names. On the one hand, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect is our calling non-fulfillment of which will cause us to inherit eternal perdition along with devil and his angels. And the essence of this perfection is comprised of us becoming like God according to our character. For us, in our heart, to offer fruit of the Spirit or to grow it in the Eden of our heart, the tree of life that offers fruit, the fruit of righteousness. And in connection with the fulfillment of the commandment to be vigilant over the Word of God in our heart as God is vigilant over the Word spoken by Him, we stopped at the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of man. Specifically, what specific goals is the righteousness of God in our hearts called to pursue? So, what does the righteousness of God pursue? Of course, it pursues a just judgment, and it pursues, as we have already said, it is called to pour out the rains and shine with the sun on the righteous for blessings and on the unrighteous on the contrary, for the outpouring of anger. And therefore, the purpose of the peace of God in our hearts, accepted by us in the broken tablets of testimony, in which we, with the death of the Lord Jesus, with the law, died to the law, so that we could receive justification in the resurrection of Christ in the new tablets of testimony, so that we could live for the one who died and rose. The thing is, is that the law was given to sinners who were not born from the seed of the word of truth. That's why it discovered sin in them, and it gave power to sin. And that's why there was the anger of God there. But when this law turns to the righteous person, then this law in the new tablets of testimony represents the grace of Christ in the resurrection of Christ. And so, in order to receive the affirmation of our salvation in the new tablets that are intended to give God the basis, to give us the promise not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, just as He had given it to Abraham and his seed, the promise that he would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, Romans 4.13. Abraham lived long before the law of Moses, but God had given him this righteousness independent of the law. Thanks to the fact that he had believed and began to consider himself dead to sin and alive to God, he began to call the inexistent as existent. And God, for this, he imputed it to him. He agreed and began to do this, and God imputed this to him as righteousness, as we say, that as soon as you accept this word and you begin to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God, and you begin to call the inexistent power of life in your body as existent, God immediately imputes this to you as righteousness. And therefore, the righteousness of faith in our heart, making us heirs of the peace of God, is defined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, or our obedience to the gospel words spoken by the messenger of God in the face of a person who represents the fatherhood of God for us. 
And so the promise of the peace of God is given only to those people who obey the order of God, cooperation with which He sends us His word to the mouth of the messengers of God. And this order, the order of God that we must obey, is in the theocratical order that is contained in the church. Therefore, the covenant of peace in the heart of a person is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God in the words of the messenger of God. I will remind you, the faith of God is the informational program that is given to us through hearing the word of God in the preached word. Not when we read. Faith does not come from reading. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. Not by all people, but by those whom God has made his lips, his mouth to whom he gave the revelation in the heart to understand the interpretations, parables, proverbs, and so forth. It is through righteousness of faith, our faith becomes righteous when we obey our faith, the faith of God. Our faith is a war, a, a soldier, and God's faith is a generalismus. And when we obey the faith of God in the words of the messenger of God, the covenant of peace in the format of the uh, incorruptible inheritance is called to be in our heart evidence that we are the child of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. If we do not submit to this word, and if we do not consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, and instead of looking at who God is for us and what God has done for us and who we are for God and what we must do in order to inherit all of that which God has done, we look at our own feelings, our own lusts, and we say, oh, something is not right with me. He must forget at looking at our feelings. To look at our feelings is to see in our feelings a master, the control. But your emotions do not have in themselves control. They do not have a mind. They are called to submit to the mind, but they can't be the mind. The mind can't serve them. They are called to serve the mind. We must lead our emotions as a war horse under their bridle. We must bridle them, not focus our attention on them, but we must speak only that who we are for God in Christ Jesus and what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, who we are for Him. And therefore, the inheritance of the peace of God that abides in the covenant of peace and the Eden of our heart are in fact the riches of our hope in God that contain all the promises of God that yield the purpose of righteousness or the goals of righteousness. Thus, it is the fruit of righteousness of the peace of God that is called to in the covenant of peace to keep our hearts and our thoughts in Christ Jesus. Because the thoughts, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. When our thoughts are in Christ Jesus, and we know how to place our thoughts there in Christ Jesus. When we dwell in the word of God, and the word of God dwells in us, in this manner we place our thoughts in Christ Jesus. When we simply begin to proclaim and to think in this way, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. With, to open with thanksgiving is to know, to be certain 
that all of that, all of which God has, He has already given to us in Christ Jesus and has already placed on our accounts. That's why when we have a need in something, we need to thank God. I thank you, Lord. That which I have a need for right now is already on my account in Christ Jesus. Allow me to take this from my account. And He allows it to be taken when He, by faith, opens a revelation that now the time has come to take this revelation and if he has not opened to you that he is going to heal you right now through the word of God then heal with the secondary word of God go to doctors pray for God to reveal to you so that you are not in the hands of a Satanist because many doctors are Satanists for God to to show you I came into a doctor one time with my daughter I look at him and it's like he came out from under a bridge. He was not unshaving. He was unshaven. He was unclean. I got up and I left. Of course, my daughter was doubtful. They said, oh, what's wrong? What happened? Uh, the, the staff said, this isn't a doctor. Look at him. Then they right away gave me a doctor who was clean and he was smiling and so forth. And then I began to see the doctor. But I saw his face that was in, in turmoil and just so unclean. And I thought, what kind of a doctor is this? The doctor must love people. This is a calling. He must love and not search for his reward. That's why we need to pray for God to open to us when we go to doctors so that he blesses the hands of the doctors. And this is the secondary word of God. First, he heals with his word, and then that is the secondary word of God. You see, God usually heals with the secondary word. Why? Because everywhere in Scripture it's written that healing is a therapy, it's service to one another. And an exception to the rule, when God when God heals with the primary word, the primary word, I always bring an example. There is an ambulance that is driving, or a police car with the sirens that are going off. And despite the fact that there are traffic stops, all the traffic stops, they are nullified. Now this ambulance is the is a traffic light. All the cars stop their movement before these sirens. This is an exception to the rule. But according to rules, right, we see a stop sign, we see a traffic light. If it's green, we go. If it's red, we stop. But when there is an exception to the rule, then these traffic lights and stops do not work. That's how God works. And as a rule, I say, He heals through the secondary word, right through the medicine and through the hands of doctors. That's why we must thank God for these hands when we go to doctors and we must ask for them to be blessed. Then He will heal us with this uh, secondary word of God. Therefore, the peace of God that has grown by us that is able to keep our thoughts in Christ Jesus are the thoughts of our mind that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit, which is the seal of God on our foreheads. A renewed mind is a mind that thinks about heavenly things. And this is the seal of God on our foreheads. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. When a person in the flesh, or his works come from the flesh, his evangelism comes from the flesh, he prays for many hours a day, but all of it, if it comes from the flesh, then this means that these are earthly thoughts. They are not submissive to God, and they cannot please God. 
we must understand that devil also can give the desire to pray, to preach, to evangelize, to give the body up for service and so forth. We must look at who is the initiator of this. Don't think that any kind of prompt of good is always God. No. Oftentimes, this is devil. Because the flesh wants, because when this comes from the flesh, the flesh writes, attributes all the dividends to itself. You've done something, and then the flesh all of a sudden says, all right, I've already done this, and now the Lord has placed this on my account. But when this is from God, when you do this, you say, I am a servant that... It is not me, it is the Lord who has done this through me. These people see, the Lord has done this through me, and they say, the Lord has done through me, and then still the flesh attributes it to itself for many of these people. Those people who have refused people do not have relation to the peace of God whose thoughts are not in God and therefore these people have no relation to the sons of peace who through the peace of God will inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven we must fully note that only through the cooperation of our spirit with our renewed mind that is found in Christ Jesus we are called to reign the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our bodies into the resurrection of Christ our spirit born of God can communicate with the Holy Spirit but even our renewed mind cannot communicate with the Holy Spirit even our renewed mind cannot communicate with the Holy Spirit the thoughts in our renewed mind can come through our renewed intuition this is the the guide between our spirit and our mind and our spirit having received a revelation from the Holy Spirit sends this thought to us through our minds because when the spirit receives a revelation it receives it on, in a different language in a tongue this thought is 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 unknown it must be interpreted and therefore in order to interpret it we need the intuition the intuition, it interprets it for us. But if there is not a guide uh, or a tie between our spirit and our mind and we do not submit to our heart, then this means that we do not have this golden reed through which this, this word can come to us. And therefore, people who do not understand this, this order, how God is able to give him his thought because there are many thoughts and we can produce these thoughts and Satan can send these thoughts and all of them will be like birds that fly over our head in order to make a nest on our head the most important thing is when these thoughts come it is necessary for you to understand what which one is from God and which one isn't and they should not create a nest on our heads otherwise when this nest is destroyed this will be when this nest is on our, on, on our heads, Christ will leave you. And even if you want to follow him, he'll say, you can't follow me. You have, your fo foxes have holds and the birds have nests over your head. I have nowhere to incline my head. Therefore, the thought of God does not have an opportunity to create this nest. Give an opportunity for the nest, uh, give an opportunity 
learn to separate the clean from unclean, the good from not good. You see, when I say something, when I had said that I have received a revelation from the Holy Spirit, that vaccines are not something that is evil for us. One of the members of the church said, well, this was a revelation to pastor. Let him do it. This isn't a revelation that came to me. Today, see, she's not in church because she is home because of the virus. Don't be so smart. Furthermore, when people do not understand these things, we need to know that if we are not, if our faith is not obedient to the faith of God, then we, it will lead us to destruction. With regard to this, we have stopped to study the fourth question according to what signs should we test ourselves to see if we are the sons of God and the sons of God? Because according to the reign of the peace of God in our heart, we must define in ourselves if we are the sons of God. Considering that if a person in the death of the Lord Jesus has not died to his nation, his household, and his corrupt desires, so if he has not died with the law to the law, then the justification that he accepted in salvation through faith in Christ Jesus will never be transformed into the quality of righteousness in which he would be able to bring and offer fruit of peace grown in the eating of his heart in the tree of life that brings its fruit twelve times in the format of the incorruptible inheritance of peace. Therefore, for these kinds of people, their crown of righteousness will be taken, which gave them the right to the inheritance of people in which they could be called sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelation 3.11 A crown is the righteousness of God. It is like a, the, our, our garments. It is given, we are given not just garments, but also this crown out of righteousness. The crown of righteousness, the garments of righteousness. And so in a certain format, we have already studied six signs according to which we can judge and define that we are the sons of peace and therefore sons of God. And we have stopped to study the seventh sign. This is the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or selective love of God. Selective means selecting what is what is clean, separating what is light to what is from what is dark, separating, and so forth. But above all else, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. You see, all of this can happen in the body of Christ in one body, meaning in the church, through the church. And according to this passage, the rule of the peace of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition. If the selective love of God demonstrated in the fulfillment of the commandments of the Lord will dwell in our hearts and we will clothe ourselves in the selective love of God through the proclamation of the faith of the heart, calling the inexistent as existent. Furthermore, to achieve the holy or selective love of God that is called to fill us with the full peace of God and make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, 
it is necessary for us to gain the ability to be vigilant over the accepted Word of God in our heart so that we could shine with our sun on the just and unjust and pour out our rain on the just and unjust according to the law of God on the righteous for blessing and on the unrighteous as a curse pouring out upon them the anger of God because you have said because you have let go of the person who is sworn by me your soul will be in place of his soul remember this those with tolerant thinking when you act tolerantly to everything then God will say to you because you have tolerantly acted toward this person you have blessed him now your soul will be instead of his soul and your children instead of his children you are going to lose your children and they will perish unless they deny you as the sons of Korah had done they had rejected their father and said we have died to our father when our father had lifted up his finger against Moses they said we died to this kind of father and when the earth was opened then Korah had fallen in there with those sons that did not reject him but those that did reject him they had remained along with Moses and they were made prophets of the Most High singers in scripture the God's selective love is presented by the Holy Spirit in scripture in the light of seven unearthly dignities and properties through the preached word of the Apostles and prophets this is virtue knowledge self-control patience godliness brotherly kindness and love 2nd Peter chapter 1 verses 2 through 8 yes it's possible to say that this is that ladder of a Jacob upon which the angels ascended and descended I am in a complete agreement with a certain part of those preachers who call this the ladder of P Peter and if you do not have it you won't have anything in common with God and then to this preacher who told me this in childhood I always said to him well take a look these properties you don't have them right you specifically don't have them how do you think you will be found in heaven he said the grave will fix the hunchbacked no one has these qualities Apostle Paul was angered and I'm angered Apostle Paul was in wrath I'm in wrath you see how people try to justify themselves so that their conscience does not judge them when Paul says I am beside myself you they, ang they interpret this as if he's angered he uses certain words and this preacher then says Apostle Paul will inherit, inherit eternal life and I will as well but this is a lie don't distort the word of God Apostle Paul said we do not distort the word of God each individual virtue the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all other virtues because they flow from one another fulfill one another strengthen one another and are found in one another they verify the authenticity of one another you can't have uh, knowledge more and self-control less 
patience, a fourth of it, and godliness, two-fourths of it, and brotherly love, maybe half. You can't have that. Everything must be in a balanced, dissolved as one whole, the bond of all perfection. And therefore, these virtues are the moral perfections and standards that are inherent to the essence of God. Third, these virtues are the great and precious promises given to us through Christ and in Christ and through Christ. They are grown from the seed of the preached word into fruit, because here we see the fruit and not the seed that is given to us, the fruit that is grown from the seed. Third, Fourth, these virtues are the incorruptible treasures and riches which we must become enriched with to inherit the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. So, through the fruit of the Spirit, we are going to give up our body, to clothe our body into incorruptible pearls. Fifth, we can enter into the inheritance of these virtues only by accepting the Holy Spirit. When we accept the Holy Spirit, you will accept power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me. This is referring to not the moment of baptisms, but the moment when we accept Him as the Lord and ruler of our life. Because infants, there are many that are baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they are not led by the Holy Spirit, and they do not understand Him. They do not distinguish good from evil, and they are swayed by all kinds of winds of teachings according to the cunningness of men. Therefore, they cannot talk about this, although they are told, if you speak in tongues, that you have accepted baptism in the Holy Spirit, you've accepted the power, and you are now being led by the Holy Spirit. And whoever does not speak in tongues, he is not led by the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is a spiritual thing that does not make us spiritual. It is a spiritual process that does not make us spiritual, but it is a material that can make us spiritual. We become spiritual when we die to our nation, the house of our Father, and our corrupt desires. And then, in a clean heart that is cleansed from dead works, when we have died to these three things, we implement the teaching of Christ, the reigning teaching of Christ, in its twelve foundations. And only then the Holy Spirit can knock on our door as the Lord and ruler, and then we open the door and He opens, and He begins to that same preached word that we have received in our heart as the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ. He begins to reveal this teaching in the heart. People want the Holy Spirit independent of someone to do this, but realize this, independent means to take you, to cut you off from the body and throw you out. But when a certain member of the body is cut off from the body, in him, see, the blood ceases to circulate, and his head can no longer, the head can no longer control this cut-off body. Everything happens in the body, and the, there's order in the body. All that God gives us, He gives us through the head, through the person whom He has made to be representative of His head with His lips. I understand that to carnal people, this they do not like this. Well, what? We don't have our own head. You've seen how. And these people understood everything correctly at first, but the wicked person has, um, they have accepted the word from him in themselves, and that's it. When they accepted this word in themselves, it killed life in them. 
And they, they walked around saying, I have my own Bible, I have my own head. They went against divine theocracy in doing so. Furthermore, the means that we are called to enact for the acceptance of the power of the Holy Spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. And by inheriting these great and precious promises, we are made partakers of God's essence. So we become perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. In a certain format, we have already studied the five virtues that as a whole define in our heart the goodness of God and therefore we will turn to the sixth component. This is our calling to show in our faith or in our relationships brotherly love, to show in the love of God agape brotherly love, which gives us the authority to go from a state of eternal death to a state of eternal life. Only then, when we begin to show brotherly love in this way, in relations with one another, only then we go from death to life. But when we were born, we were did we not go from death to life? No. You have not yet gone from death to life. You are, you've just been given, if you have been born, a person who is born and goes from death to life, he must first be born in order for him to go from death to life. That's why you first are born, but the light that is in you is still darkness, because I repeat, you are infants, you are swayed by all kinds of winds of teachings, and then all of a sudden you come to the knowledge to the realization that your God is your own head. Now all of a sudden you will decide to answer things for yourselves and you will inspect everything. And when you come to this kind of state, you are no longer an infant. You are then a tear, a weed. And instead of leaving infancy, you are transformed from this infancy into a tear, a weed. Because you had challenged God, and now you are not swayed by all kinds of winds of teachings. Now, you are your own God. Your intellect has become your God. And therefore, take a look. We know that we have passed from death to life, because why? We love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And we know that not every brother who, brother who is called a brother is a brother, and not everyone who is called Israel is from Israel and from the seed of Abraham, but only those who have the faith of Abraham, those who obey with their faith to the faith of God, those who have made themselves a warrior, an army, who with desire, with great zeal, they wait for when the generalismus is going to tell him what to do through his representative. And therefore, in Holy Scripture, the level of the power of the selective love of God, which flows from the brotherly love and discovers itself in brotherly love, is defined as the level of the hatred of God toward evil and those who practice evil. So to the character, uh, to the carriers of evil. You have loved righteousness and hated lawliness, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. We know that this is, these are programs, two programs that cannot act without on their own, but they act in the carriers, and the carriers is the heart of a person. 
it is a programmable device. Just like a computer itself on its own, when you purchase it, it is clean, there's no program in it. It can't work, but for your computer to work and for you to find some kind of benefit in it, you must place a program in it. And then thanks to this program, you can then go to some kind of websites. Same thing here. When we place a a program of God there, we can find the face of God and penetrate His thoughts. But when you place in your programmable device the program of Satan, or the program that you have received from the seed of your fathers, then you are going to go on any website other than the website of God. Therefore, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. Psalms 11, 5-7. In the original, I will remind you. His face looks at the, falls in love in this, with this face, and he feels himself when he looks upon this face, he feels happy, he is comforted. So God has joy when he looks at the face of the righteous. He finds comfort and peace and joy. With regard to this, just like in the previous virtues of God, which are necessary to demonstrate in our faith in seven components, it was necessary, and in this case, brotherly love, it was necessary for us to answer four classic questions. What does Scripture say about the origin and essence of the fruit of virtue? Discovering itself in the heart of a person. What purpose is the love of God called to fulfill? What conditions are necessary to fulfill to demonstrate in our faith the love of God agape which flows from brotherly love? And by what sign should we test ourselves for the presence of the love of God agape which flows out of brotherly love? Our correct relationship toward one another. In a certain format, we have already studied the first two questions and have stopped to study the third question. What conditions are necessary to fulfill to demonstrate in our faith the fruit of virtue and the love of God, agape, which flows from brotherly love? And the first component or the condition required to show in our faith the format of God's love that comes from an atmosphere of brotherly love is comprised of defining the time for every purpose under heaven. As it is written, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.1 Therefore, we begin to study the outpouring of God's love in our heart in the atmosphere of brotherly love in union with these components or these contents. In the segment of time allotted to us, which is found in God's control, within our dwelling in the face of a good wife, so inside of the church, meaning to be partaking to the body of Christ, and third, in an atmosphere of brotherly love, which in totality is contained and revealed in the boundaries of the covenant of peace. In their bond, all of these three are constants, and they define our dwelling in a covenant of peace. The totality of these three components determines in our heart the presence of the order of the kingdom of heaven, which gives God a reason to pour out His love into our hearts through an atmosphere of brotherly love, so, so through our relationship toward one and through brotherly love that is elevated to a commandment in the time allotted for us and within the limits allotted by Him for our dwelling. The limits allotted by Him for our dwelling is the body of Christ. It's not just 
sometimes people think that the limit of the limits of our dwelling is there where we live forgive me i can completely go from place to place and i can go a, adventure across the whole world i remember as one deacon had said if to, today i will preach to you abraham was an adventurer he said before they were called sojourners and then they became adventurers well look abraham was an adventurer he says abraham was not an adventurer he was a sojourner he had left one land and lived in another and then he had never gone anywhere from this land he never went anywhere else he came to this land and then he was a foreigner in the limits of this land a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another we have noted that the order of the kingdom of heaven in its delightful theocracy can abide in our hearts and exert its beneficial effect on us exclusively within the boundaries of the kingdom of heaven which on earth is present, represented by the wife the bride of the lamb in the dignity of a good wife under the condition that we have found her as it is written he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the lord proverbs chapter 18 verse 22 he who finds this kind of church this church that is a good wife that has the dignity of a narrow gate he has found grace from the lord grace from god is not given in all kinds of churches sometimes people tell me what is god only in your church i say no he's not just in our church but he's in a church that is like us not in all but those that are like us and all he cannot he cannot be in all because all churches are not his house his dwelling place because all churches he oftentimes calls satanic congregations for we read the bible they say of themselves that they are jews but they are in fact satanic congregations they are synagogues of satan according to the book of revelation they say that this congregation that they call themselves a path to life sulamita and however you may call yourselves morning star and so forth what kind of a morning star are you if you do not have a theocratical structure you are not a star at all you can think that you're a star but the time will come when God is going to begin to weigh you on his scales of justice then we will see who is the star and who is not the price for the right to be under the cover of the reigning grace of God which is a theocratic structure of the order of God in the face of a good wife is a certain amount that we acquired from the sale of everything that we had including our life or from, from the sum that we are called to pay to find this good wife or to find the narrow gates is to reject all that we have so that we can find this price to pay for this Luke 14.33 so likewise whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple Luke 14.33 so to be a disciple is to be a partaker of the wife of the bride of the lamb in a dignity of a good wife and to forsake everything that we have in order to be under the cover of the grace of God in the face of a good wife as we have talked about and oftentimes repeat is to renounce our people our father's house and our carnal life and furthermore we have talked about how to renounce also our denomination 
If this domination mixes divine revelations with human, I there had a, been a letter that has come from a main Episcopal back in the Soviet Union. Our pastor had read brothers, the brothers have established to pray on this day we are going to pray the first day of the week we are going to pray for the leaders and our people the second day we will pray about healing third day evangelism and so forth and each one was asked are you in agreement with this on the deacon he pointed he says i am in agreement and i want but i want to say one thing i'm not going to pray for brezhnev i will pray for the leaders but i won't pray for brezhnev why won't you they asked him it's written for leaders, that means for Brezhnev first and foremost. Because if you do not pray for him, then we are not going to be blessed from him. Well, this is how you understand this, but this is how what I understand differently. When he came to me and he says, do you agree with all of this? I said, a question. What do you mean? What question? No one's asking a question, only you, they told me. I said, okay, then I won't answer. Okay, fine, ask your question, they said to me. What do you think? This document from the Brotherly Council, is this a revelation from the Holy Spirit that they have sent us, or is this the human intellect? He said, human intellect. I said, I will not follow any of these points. I will pray every single day, not for one point and then the other, but every time I pray, I'm going to pray for everything at once. So what am I saying here? These kinds of churches, they have the children of God that God will lead out of there somehow. He will call out at the door of hope and He will say, My people, exit out of Babylon, flee from it. If you realize that you are in Babylon, that one preacher comes, says one thing, the second also comes and he completely um, nullifies what he has, the other has said, and then the third one and fourth one comes, they don't support one another because each one has their own head and their own revelation. They mix what is divine with what is humanly. And this is Babylon. And so, in a certain format, we looked at the signs familiar to us that determine the theocratic structure of the order of the kingdom of heaven and the body of Christ, which is a true gathering of saints, that we can find the grace of God in the face of a good wife and become an organized part of her. We have focused on the system of structure of our spirit, our soul, and our body, which discovers itself in our essence in these constants and components. Constants is a component. So, the, the basis, it's a basis. This is the wisdom of God that is the fear of the Lord, God's strategy, which is continual prayer, God's glory, which reveals itself in the proclamation of the faith of the heart, and in God's might, which reveals itself in the proclamation of the faith of the heart. And fifth, in the hierarchical structure of the kingdom of heaven revealed in the atmosphere of our heart, which defines the order of theocracy in relationship with one another in brotherly love. And so, by continuing our study of the order of God in the face of a good wife, our partaking to which gives God the basis to pour out His love in our hearts in the atmosphere of brotherly love, we arrived at the need to expand the definition in the search for a good wife according to these characteristics. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? So that the word to see means to be clothed into grace. Because that which we look upon clothes us. That's why the original states to be clothed in grace. But there is also a meaning there, to see good, to see grace. What must we do? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. 
how how when Jacob's James says that this is impossible, right? The James uh, the tongue is impossible to control. Out of all the members of the body, this is a kind of evil that is impossible to withhold. You can leap, uh, take a leopard, a bear. If you can train him, he will submit to you. But the tongue, what do we do? But here it also says, keep your tongue from evil. This is fruit. It must be grown. A meek tongue is the tree of life that is going to bridle my body, my emotions. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And according to the contents of this command that is presented in two conditions, we should define the special nature of a good wife as well as the special nature of our partaking to her. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The essence of these two conditions by which it is necessary to determine both the special nature of a good wife and the special nature of our involvement to her is that they are impracticable both for the category of those called and for carnal people who have not yet grown into a perfect man in the full measure of the stature of Christ in order to be able to reject the evil and choose the good. According to the words of Apostle James, the tongue of the carnal man is an irrepressible evil that cannot be tamed or curbed until he loses his soul in the death of the Lord Jesus in order to cleanse the soil of his heart from dead works and make it good or capable of receiving the seed of the kingdom of heaven in order to work in this way your faith with the faith of God and to grow in oneself the fruit of the Spirit because a meek tongue is fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is meekness. A meek tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the Spirit. So imagine, those people who do not have a meek tongue, their tongue unbridled, it breaks their spirit. The breaking of the spirit is a breaking of the lamp, which is the spirit of a person born of the seed of the word of truth. A carnal person is no different from the crowd that greeted Christ with delight, exclaiming, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to the highest. And a few days later, that same crowd shouted, Crucify him, for the reason that they did not know that they were serving the world. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Luke 19, 41-42 In accordance with this command, which is a word that comes from the mouth of God, the order in which relationships are built with each other is revealed, allowing us to move from the state of death, transmitted to us the sinful seed of our fathers in the flesh, to the state of life, transmitted to us by God in brotherly love. And in order to experience in our hearts the hope and trust in the grace of God, according to which we could test our congregation in the involvement of its internal infrastructure and its organic life system in the order of God's love. We turned to some of the above definitions, which are designed to determine the order of God's love and brotherly love, both in an individual assembly and in the heart of an individual who has an organized partaking to the body of Christ in the face of a good wife. A congregation that meets the requirements of the image of a good wife who is the body of Christ must meet the requirements that correspond to the image of a good person. 
the, the state of the heart of a good person. And therefore, in the testing of ourselves and our congregation for partaking to the image of a good wife, we should focus on the good heart of a person who has in his heart the reign of the peace of God, which keeps his thoughts in Christ Jesus. Based on the revelations of Scripture, the term good in itself, which defines the essence of a good wife, stems from the natural essence of God's love, which determines His sovereign will, by virtue of which it belongs exclusively to God and to those people who were born of the seed of His word and paid the price for taking care of the good soil of their heart, which became able to receive the preached seed of His promises and grow in their hearts the seed of promise into the fruit of righteousness because it is specifically the fruits of righteousness and the properties of our character and not any other religious deeds associated with our activities that determine our belonging to the category of a good wife and give us a legal right to the saving grace of God through the righteousness of our heart. It is specifically of the reign of the grace of Christ in our heart that defines the state of our good heart that dwells in brotherly love, thanks to his partaking to a good wife, whose goodness is comprised of doing the will of God that is good, acceptable, and perfect. A congregation in the face of a good wife are narrow gates that many try to find, but few do. And if we, by way of searching, do not find such a congregation in the face of a good wife representing a narrow gate, we will be deprived of the deposit of God's grace, called to pour out in the love of God into our hearts through brotherly love in the form of a seed of righteousness. As a result, we will not have any opportunity to accept true salvation in the love of God that is poured out in an atmosphere of brotherly love and will take place in true salvation, given to us by God in brotherly love, in which the atoning blood of the cross of Christ gains its legitimacy. So, the blood of Jesus Christ gains its legitimacy and cleanses us from all sin, only when we are partakers of a good wife and brotherly love, in the atmosphere of brotherly love. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. So this fellowship, right? This fellowship must be as God walks in the light. So God loves in the light of His Word. Therefore, to have fellowship with one another, we must with those people that walk in the light of the Word of God. Only then the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. So, not always does the blood of Christ cleanse, but only when we are in the body. Our blood cleanses uh, our bodies continually. Not for th- not three-day encounters, but until, while we live in this body, it is going to continually cleanse us. And through this cleansing, it always enriches our body with oxygen, and with nourishing means that we receive from that food that we eat. What a person eats, he will be. Oftentimes people say, that which we eat, we will be, in the spiritual sense of the word. What sources we eat from, thus we will be. Therefore, outside of the Church of Christ and independent of the Church of Christ in the face of a good wife representing narrow gates, a person will not have any opportunity to be saved from the coming anger. A question arises. What potential of power is the love of God called to possess pouring out from the atmosphere of brotherly love in the soil of our good heart? Figuratively, the potential of the life force of resurrection enclosed in the earth 
through which God created all living beings, including man, is associated, God created a person through living minerals, the dust. And these were living minerals of clay. It was the dust of a special kind of clay that has in itself all properties, all minerals. There is a kind of clay in certain instances on our planet that has all of the minerals. This clay can eat, this clay can be used in food, and this is a very expensive kind of clay. I know people, not personally, but they've been showed on the the, uh, TV, they eat only this clay and drink water from the source. And they've been living for many years this way. And they know the taste of this clay. And when they taste some other kind of clay, they say, no. Just like when you taste something and you say, oh, something is missing here. Something is missing in this. My grandchildren, they eat eggs always fried, which they receive from a relative, from the, my wife's brother. And when it runs out, the parents go to eggs in the store, other eggs, not telling them. And as soon as they give it to them, they tried it, and they spit it right out. He said, nope, that's not right. How can a child define, how can a child understand this? Just like the uh, same taste, clay varies. Scripture says, I am the, you are the potter, I am the clay, Scripture says. And you have created me from this clay. Therefore, Adam, the name Adam in Hebrew, you know how it sounds like? A person who has been created from red clay. So the first man, Adam, he had red skin, but God had placed in him all of the forms of the skin of people that will then be born of him. But the first Adam, he was made out of red clay, and his skin was red. He was a very beautiful person. This was not a black person. This was not a yellow person. This was not a white person. This was a red person. That's why we must act toward all skin colors with astonishment because in every color of the skin, God shows something. Very woe to our in our country what happened that they neg- people neglect people with black skin color were neglected, and now those with black skin color they neglect the people with white skin color. One considers themselves higher, and one another considers themselves higher. This didn't exist before. And the people of Israel, there were all colors of the skin. Abraham was Moses was married to an Ethiopian, and you know Ethiopians is a kind of dark skin that no one else has. And now imagine, now from Moses, and there were people with with dark skin. And there was another queen also from Ethiopia, she was in this as well. She came to honor Solomon and said, I haven't seen any wisdom like this before. Therefore, God loves all people with all colors of the skin. He has illuminated himself because one color cannot illuminate God. All colors illuminate God, the whole rainbow of colors. And God wanted to show, even in the human body. Now imagine that even the angels of God are also like this. They are red, yellow, white, black. Michael the archangel, he had a dark color like 
like brass. I remember when I had said this before, one sister said, something's wrong with our pastor. How can he say that Michael the Archangel have a black skin color? Angels, although they have a spiritual body, this spiritual body has uh, has color. And for them, they can also have hair, some red, others white, others black, and so forth. Just like people have different colors of hair, eyes, skin, just the angels do as well. Because God is the gem of all different colors, and He wanted to illuminate His fullness in these colors. That's why you should never inhabit, discipline your hearts some kind of hatred or the undesired to a, another color of skin and never place people with a certain color of skin higher than other people who do not have the same color. And therefore, the presence of a good heart gives a person the right in the time established by God to accept in the good soil of his heart the progressing promise of God for our earthly body in order to fulfill it. And before we look at the program of life in the good soul of the heart, we need to define what scripture views as the name man. The first person, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first man was of the earth, made of dust, and the second man is the Lord from heaven. From this statement, it follows that these two people, or these two Adams, represent two different carriers of life forms, containing in themselves two different informational programs of life. One contained the image of a carnal person, while the other contained, while the other, the program of life, contained the image and the likeness of the life of God. In Hebrew, the first Adam means carnal man, man from the red earth, man born of the earth, man made by the earth, man created in the likeness of God, and a rational or sovereign person. The second Adam is a spiritual person, a person born of God, rational or sovereign person, man made for God, man called into fellowship with God, man called to represent the dignity of God, man who has the image and likeness of God, and man called to rule the earth. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, blessed them, and called them mankind. From these words it follows that the integrity of the likeness of God was called to express itself in a combination of two people, a man and a woman. Separately, the likeness of God will be absent. Externally or physically, a man and a woman, being human, have biological differences between themselves. But in the inner man, or in their spirit, man and woman do not differ because they are not dependent on gender. Both are, although both are endowed with the male, endowed with the male and female functions. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor there is neither slave nor free. For neither male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ. The gender of a person determines not a person, but his functions and his calling in time. A person is determined by the likeness of God. Not his gender, his status, but the likeness of God. 
that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So this is to be vigilant in the boundaries of the spoken word of God, just as God is vigilant in these boundaries and has placed himself servant of his word. And he is vigilant so that it could be fulfilled in our bodies. That is why in the inner man, but only in a completely different form, inaccessible to the carnal mind, both man and woman, on the one hand, do not differ from each other. And on the other hand, they contain the properties of each other, and therefore, the calling in the inner man, both for a man and for a woman, is the same or identical. Because of this, the sons of God, we are all, regardless of age, gender, and social status, called, according to the scripture, to do good deeds that pursue the will of God in the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. This is our common, universal, and fateful destiny in which we are called to represent the image and likeness of God in the perfection of His justice. Therefore, the common calling of man and woman is to give God a foundation to erect in their bodies the power of eternal life. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good deeds are determined by the source of their origin, which is called to be the good soil of the human heart, containing the totality of all the promises of God. The good soil of the heart is determined by the conscience cleansed of dead works with the doctrine of Christ imprinted on its tablets. The confession of the faith of God is considered by God a deed of truth or good deeds. Therefore, good deeds can only come from the depths of the soil of a good heart. Therefore, good deeds are the fruits of righteousness expressed in justice, which we are called to bring before God. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Evil is called the heart of a person who has been born of God until he has not died to his nation, the house of his father, and his corrupt life, car carnal life, and has not placed the law of God in his heart in the reigning teaching of Christ. It is going to be called evil until then because an evil program is at work. And based on this scripture, I will remind you of certain conditions, how the soil of our heart becomes good, or what scripture views as the good potential of the earth with which we are called to, to cooperate in order to grow righteousness and thus fulfill our destiny and our calling. The first or initial condition that gives God a basis to pour out His love into our hearts through an atmosphere of brotherly love is our decision and our thirst to be reborn from the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Then Jesus sent the multitude away, and they said to him, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seeds are the sons of kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age, so at the door of hope. 
The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. They will be, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. According to this parable, the image of the good seed defines not the seed of promise, but the seed of a new creation in Christ Jesus in the face of a new man born of God in Christ Jesus from the seed of the word of truth, which abides forever. After being born again, a person living in the flesh, like Adam in the Garden of Eden, will need to make a choice between death and life or between the reigning sin in the face of the old man living in his body, which he inherited from the vain life of the fathers, and his new man, born of the seed of the word of truth. Only having made a choice in favor of our inner manner, man, we have the opportunity and the ability to enable or ennoble the soil of our heart, cleansing it of dead deeds. After cleansing our conscience of dead deeds and introducing into it the reigning teaching of Christ, the soil of our heart becomes good. And therefore, it is also able to receive the good seed of the promise and to grow it into the fruit of righteousness. Thus, a person can be called good only by the combination of three requirements. First, by his origin from the seed of the word of truth. Second, through the cleansing of his conscience from dead works. And third, by engraving the teaching of Christ in his pure conscience. Amen. Let us bend our knees, bend our knees and bow our heads and let us pray and thank God for that word that we were able to have and all of those who have a desire to challenge reigning sin in their body or illnesses or circumstances or fears, you can come out here to the altar. We will pray for you. And God, according to His unchanging word, will free you, cleanse you, will help you be rid of, of the pits of hell because this is His heart as a father he knows that you have been held captive and you yourselves cannot exit but when you come to the altar and you pray and you proclaim and confess your sin you give him the basis to fight for your body and to and to overcome it amen let us pray I will pray along with you with your prayers and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He is not against you. He is for you so much that He has gave up His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him in the preached word shall not perish but have eternal life. 
your eyes closed. This is an element of a mystery room. Your hands raised to the heavens. This means that your hands are without anger and fear. Pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you. I unveil my heart. You see my pain, the pain that is brought upon by lust, by sin, which I despise, and from which I cannot be rid without your help. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, deliver me from my enemies, which are stronger than I. I love you. I miss your purity, freedom from sin. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, I am saved. Your sins are forgiven you and your transgressions in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He come down upon you with His holy countenance and have mercy upon you. May He give you peace. May around you fall thousands and tens of thousands, but not draw near you. May all of the blessings of the ancient hills that contained in themselves all the promises of God and the everlasting mountains, which God, according to His eternal covenant, has promised that He will fulfill all the promises for you if you will listen to the voice of the Lord and fulfill it. And may all of these blessings come upon you and upon your descendants and may they be fulfilled upon you. And let all the people say, Amen. And now, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.